All right, good morning, Salt City. Good to be with you guys here this morning. So we are continuing our series um, called According to Jesus. And the last couple weeks, we tackled gender and politics. And this morning, we're tackling justice. And so the first thing I realized in prepping this message is that we need to come to an agreed-upon definition of justice. Because I think that it's a little bit vague in our culture. People talk about social justice, about helping the marginalized and the poor, things like that. But we need to have a mutual understanding of what we're talking about as Christians Because it's something that God calls us to, and we need to understand what he means. So let me give you a few definitions of the word justice that I think are helpful. The first one is to act or treat justly or fairly. The second is the quality of being just, righteousness, equitableness, or moral rightness. And the third is the moral principle determining just conduct. So when we talk about justice as Christians, we're talking about doing righteousness. And so we believe as Christians that God does, in fact, call us to do justice. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a super well-known story in the Bible, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're going to see exactly what the shape of this justice looks like And then how we can begin as Christians to pursue living in a just way. I was reminded of the importance of this when I came across this quote that impacted me a long time ago by a guy named Francis Schaeffer. He said, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. So it's possible that we as Christians have right doctrine, that we believe the gospel, that we believe the right things, but we live in such a way that it actually discredits the gospel. And so Jesus this morning would call us to live in a way that shows off the beauty of the gospel. So we're looking at three realities about justice in the Christian life. The first one is that justice is specifically Commanded. So we're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29 to start. Luke 10, 25 through 29. The verses will be on the screens. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so we have a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus. And the lawyer comes to Jesus with a question that a lot of religious people ask. How do I inherit eternal life? Now Jesus could have said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You don't inherit eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift that you receive. But Jesus enters into this conversation 
with this man in order to have impact on him. And so being a lawyer, this person is very familiar with the law in general. And because he's a Jew, he's familiar with God's law specifically. And so Jesus says, well, tell me what's written in the law. Because if you were going to inherit eternal life, the way you would do it is by living perfectly under God's law. So he says, what's God's law? And the lawyer nails it. He gets an A plus on the test. He summarizes the law the exact same way that God has in the Old Testament and Jesus did in the New Testament by saying it's that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what I'm saying. The lawyer gives a perfect definition of what it means to live a just life. To live a life of justice, you love your neighbor as yourself. Which if you think about it, that is an absolutely brilliant command. As we try to figure out in the world what justice is and how to live justly, people are throwing around all different kinds of definitions and trying to summarize what it would look like to live this kind of life. And God is able to do it in a short sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, okay, there it is. Do this and you will live. And then the lawyer does, I think, what lots of us would do. And he starts to backpedal a little bit like, "Uh uh-oh. To actually do that would be really hard. And he starts to do a little bit of self-examination maybe. And he looks back at his life and he's like, well, maybe I actually haven't done this so well. And so the text says, in an effort to justify himself, he asks an irrelevant question. Who is my neighbor? You see, the commandment is about how we love everyone in our life. And the lawyer tries to make it about who he is supposed to love. It's kind of like this. Imagine that there is a police officer and he's having a conversation with one of his friends who's a judge. And the judge asks the police officer to summarize the law on speeding. And he's like, see, the law on speeding is you're not supposed to go over the speed limit. So the speed limit's 60, you're not supposed to go over 60. Or if the speed limit's 35, you're not supposed to go over 35. And the judge that he's talking to says, oh, have you ever done that before? And the police officer's like, well, who really keeps the speed limit? He's dodging the question. Because if he's honest, although he is a person who keeps people from speeding, he doesn't keep the law himself. And even though this guy is a lawyer, an expert on the law, somebody who understands God's law, if he were to be honest, standing before the judge of all the earth, Jesus Christ, he would have to say, that he doesn't actually do it. Here's the thing about God's law. The righteous life. It is specifically commanded to us as Christians. 
We understand it. Even people who don't know Jesus understand the commandments. They understand, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they understand, love your neighbor as yourself. But when we actually begin to come face to face with the commandment to do justly, if we don't dodge it, we begin to be convicted. But there's this interesting dynamic that I think happens in our soul. In one sense, we're convicted and we begin to feel guilty. But in another sense, we are drawn to stories of love and compassion. And this might be the most famous story of love and compassion of all. And so what Jesus does is instead of beating the guy over the head... He continues to draw him in by telling him a story. And what we get next is this picture that justice is morally beautiful. So justice isn't just the way that you're supposed to live, the law. It's also something that when we live it out, it is beautiful. It's amazing. So here's the way that Jesus replies to this lawyer's defensiveness. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Okay, so this is, this is really interesting. Maybe you've never noticed this before. I think we're all familiar with this story. It's used in popular culture as well as within the church. But the beginning of the story is actually ingenious on Jesus' part. He could have put this lawyer, a Jew, in the position of being the hero in the story. But the whole setup is Jesus is calling this lawyer, and us by extension, to imagine that we are the person in the ditch who's been robbed, who needs help. So he's saying to the lawyer, okay, there's this road between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's a notoriously crazy road. It's traveled by Jews all the time. He's saying, imagine that you got robbed and you're laying in the ditch. And his expectation, as these different characters go by, you got this Levite and this priest, is obviously that the Levite and the priest, the Jewish leaders are going to be the ones who help him, but they pass by. And then you have this Samaritan, which if you just mentioned the word Samaritan, 
to a high-class Jewish lawyer, it would have made his skin crawl. Jews hated Samaritans. That's because to Jews, Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half Jew, half Gentile. And there was sort of this feud going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans believed God should be worshipped on a place called Mount Gerizim. The Jews believed that he should be worshipped in Jerusalem. So they had different religions. There was also sort of this back and forth going on, and the most recent kind of offense that had taken place was the Samaritans had actually profaned the temple in Jerusalem by scattering dead people's bones in the sanctuary. There was just this bad taste between these two groups. And so Jesus is saying to the lawyer, imagine yourself laying in the ditch and a Samaritan, oh, a Samaritan walks by. And then he paints this beautiful picture that blows all this man's categories and shows us really what a life of justice ought to look like. A beautiful life. And there's a few things that he mentions. One is, there's an awareness on this Samaritan's part of what's going on. So the Levite and the priest walk by, they see this guy laying in the ditch, and they do see him. But there's a different kind of an awareness that the Samaritan has. He actually sees him. He sees this person who's been robbed, who is laying in the ditch, half dead, as a person made in the image of God. He has an awareness. That is a human being. That human being needs my help. And it leads him to have compassion. The word that's used for compassion in this passage is splagnizomai. I had to say that. I usually don't quote Greek words unless they're just that cool. And it means to be moved as to one's bowels. Okay, we don't usually talk about bowels that way. <laughs> bowels are used for other things. But in that time, the bowels were known to be the seat of both love and pity. He is moved at the deepest place in his being with compassion on this person who needs his help. And it causes him to take a risk. I say a risk because this road was dangerous. Obviously, it was dangerous enough that this person was robbed. This road was notoriously dangerous. It was called the way of blood because so many people were killed on the road. So he takes a risk and he crosses all racial, ethnic, political, religious, and socioeconomic barriers to help someone who is entirely different than himself. And we see that he's on a journey and so he takes the inconvenient path. 
He puts this person on his own animal. And then he shows him incredibly extravagant love. It says he pours oil and wine on his wounds. Two incredibly expensive commodities just to care for this person that he doesn't even know. By putting him on his own animal, he was putting himself at risk because he was slowing himself down, making himself vulnerable to being robbed himself. Then he brought him to the end. He took care of himself. You can see this person. He's got a washcloth. He's wiping his face. He's helping this person get into bed. And then he gives two denarii to the innkeeper. Guys, two denarii would be equal to two days wages. So a guy that he doesn't even know takes him to an inn, gives the innkeeper $1,000, says, take care of him. I'll be back in a few days. And whatever money you need when I'm back, I'll give you that as well. He's maybe committing himself to give $2,500 or $3,000 to take care of a complete stranger. And as we hear that story, we say, yes, that's right. That's the righteous life. That is morally beautiful. And we're drawn into it. And when we hear stories like that, In our own day, we read them and our eyes well up with tears and we're like, yes, this is the way that humanity is supposed to be. Did you hear this story recently about this guy named Robert F. Smith? He's a billionaire. And he went to speak at the graduation of Morehouse College. And he stands in front of some 409 graduates of Morehouse College And he starts speaking, and they're sort of listening to him. And then at one point in his speech, they really get dialed in. And this is that point. He says, my family is going to create a grant to eliminate your student loans. Smith told the graduates during his commencement address. He says, you great Morehouse men are bound only to the limits of your own conviction and creativity. His gift to the nearly 400 graduating seniors is about $40 million. So here's what one student said. If I could do a backflip, I would. I am deeply ecstatic. (laughs) Elijah Demorius, a business administration major from Harlem in New York City, said, and this is why he said it, he had $90,000 in student loan debt. This billionaire is like, I'm paying off all of your student loans. And we look at that and we say, it's morally beautiful. This is amazing. No one has any objections to that. And by definition, those are acts of justice. Why? Because they're in accordance with God's law. And God's law calls every person everywhere to love their neighbor as themselves, which means the way that we should make moral evaluations is 
What would I want me to do if I were somebody less powerful than me? There's no other way around it. And if you were a billionaire and you were a student at Morehouse College, you would want that billionaire to pay off your student loan debt. This just makes sense. And so there's part of us, as we look at these stories, we're like, this is beautiful. But there's another part that's like, uh uh-oh. We're drawn in, and then we begin to look in the mirror, and we begin to say, I am not a person who does justice. There are a lot of people in our society that are pointing fingers, calling out other people, For their acts of injustice. But as Christians, more than anyone else, we should be pointing at ourselves. And we should be saying, I am not a person of justice. And that's because justice is humanly impossible. The conversation continues with Jesus and this lawyer, and it actually gets kind of funny. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Isn't that a funny question? It's like you have three choices. The Levite who walked on the other side of the road and didn't help him at all. The priest who walked on the other side of the road and didn't help him at all. Or one of the most morally exemplary moments in human history. You pick. (laughs) Which one showed him mercy? Which one did the right thing? And you notice that this lawyer is so prejudiced, he can't even say the Samaritan. He just calls him the one, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says these words that are simultaneously inspiring, but also devastating. You go and do likewise. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to live a life of justice, You must, in every moment of your life, be like the Good Samaritan. You must have deep compassion for the people around you that leads you to risk taking costly love and action. And so we're left with the needs around us in the world, and we all see the needs. We see the needs on the news. We see the needs as we walk on the streets. We see the needs of the people around us. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a combination of just hard-heartedness and overwhelmedness that all of us have when we look at the problems of injustice in the world and in our own hearts. And so then the question is, 
What do we do? I was having this conversation with um, a guy. I was working on my message at a coffee shop, and there was a sales guy from Chicago sitting next to me named Ray. And Ray just puts it on the bottom shelf for me. He says, what you doing, man? (laughs) And I said, I'm a pastor. I'm working on my sermon. And he goes, oh, really? I just went to a service at the Basilica. Every time I'm in Minneapolis, I go to a service at the Basilica. It's such a beautiful church. I was like, it is a beautiful church. He goes, what are you talking about in your sermon? And so I walked him up until this point in the message. And I basically said to him, this guy's asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically goes through and says, always love your neighbor as yourself. And then I just left him with kind of a cliffhanger. I said, but none of us does that consistently. And he, he kind of sits on the edge of his seat and Ray goes, what's the answer? <laughs> what, what's the answer? What, do, what are we supposed to do? How do we move forward? Guys, we cannot inherit eternal life by doing good works, by loving our neighbor as ourselves. No matter how much justice you do, you can't earn your way into God's favor. The answer is that Jesus is not just a good Samaritan. He's the great Samaritan. Jesus came not to rescue us from a ditch after we had been robbed, but to rescue us from sin. We are incredibly broken people. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, Jesus was infinitely rich. He created the entire universe. Everything was his. And he became homeless and poor, an outsider. People didn't even recognize that he was God. And the reason that he became poor is so that he could climb up on the cross And he could bear the just penalty for your sin and for mine. Because what justice demands is punishment. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. To free us up from the penalty of our sin. So that. We can see God's law in an entirely different way. The only way to be a just person, to live out this commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves, is when we're no longer trying to inherit eternal life by our good works. In other words, you don't 
have to obey God's law to get to heaven. You get to obey God's law because you've been saved by grace. So here's my encouragement to you. For some of you, you've been stirring with this desire, like, how do I impact the city? How do I love the people around me? How do I go out and do justice and love my neighbor as myself? And the answer is, you look at Jesus and you respond to what he has done for you. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for this convicting, beautiful story. Thank you that whether we are defensive or whether we're self-justifying or whether we're indifferent, that you enter into a relationship with us, that you're willing to have these type of conversations with us, would this be a place where we not only believe the Bible, but we also live lives of compassion? Would you melt our hearts so that we can see the people around us the way that you have seen us, Jesus? That even though we deserved condemnation you gave us love and compassion would we be able to embrace this city in that way in jesus name amen